Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Options Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy and Sherry Edwards. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning. I am so excited about this show. We have been trying to get Dr. Lewis on for several years because he's taken on all of the issues that many of our audience people have asked us to check out. It certainly fits with our our mission to make the planet a better place environmentally and politically, and it certainly matches your soapbox, Richard. <laughs> Boy, howdy. <laughs> wow. Um, Dr. Lewis, and this is from Amazon, has worked with the federal government for many years about the levels of dishonesty and corruption in the government, and this specifically in the range of science and how science has been bought. Uh, do you remember when we had on that um, lobbyist and he told us how easy it was to buy Congress people? I think yep. uh, Dr. Lewis is going to talk to you about is how easy it is to buy off science. So I am absolutely looking forward to this. Welcome, everybody, to Sound Health Options. Uh, I'm here in Ohio, freezing. It was minus 14 or something silly like that this morning. Wow. We're very, it's icy. It's snowing. Richard's over there in warm. Are you warm but on fire? Well, compared to warm. that, yeah, bet. I'm, I'm in, like, a Hawaiian print shirt and shorts compared to you. It's only in the low 50s here. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we're sponsored today by the Institute of Bioacoustic Biology and Sound Health, and we have been doing this for about 30 years, trying to show that within people's vocal prints there is information. Very pleased to hear that MIT and the Mayo Clinic are following in our footsteps when it deals with um, vocal profiling, so all of our Research and being broke all the time is probably um, worth it. I want to announce that we have been accepted by another major medical conference. Many of you know I just came back from Las Vegas to the A4M conference on anti-aging. So we've been invited to another one. I'm ex- they were ecstatic about the cases that we presented and, ha- and were able to solve for doctors. It's just incredible. The more we know, the quicker it seems to go with all the science and esoteric information that we're trying to pull together. So I'm very happy that we have an audience today. Uh, We've got lots and lots of requests from our clinic, working with a lot of doctors about unsolvable cases. Let's see, what else are we supposed to say up front? We are registered 501c3 nonprofit, the largest one in Ohio. And what we do here is stick a microphone in front of your face, get a 30-second sample, and then we're able to look at what's going on um, by way of frequency in the body. And what we've done here is be able to prove what those frequencies mean. We're being sponsored today by our BioDiet software that we are giving away in our free classes this month to the public so that they can use this for themselves. And for better breathing, the online 
workstation, and that one we created because Richard was right in those fires. And we have also added PTSD. You can go right online at soundhealthportal.com and have your voice analyzed and see what is coming up. Uh, I only have one short announcement, Richard, and that's Dr. Tenpenny, Sherry Tenpenny, S-H-E-R-I, and the National Vaccine Information Center is bringing out more and more information about how our science was bought off when it deals with vaccines. Keynote is up. It's about energy, and we talked a little bit about optical illusions and health. So I know you always have information and you want us to keep this short because you wanted to keep jump right into Dr. Lewis's wonderful information. So I'll turn it over to you, Richard. Thank you. Uh, I will remind people now, and I'll say this again at the end of the show, because this is one of those shows that I know that you're going to want to listen to again and or tell your friends that right after the show, about 10 to 15 minutes after the show, you'll be able to go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, and then click on the Blog Talk Radio Archive tab, and the player will be there with the last five shows we've done. And from there, you can click on it, and pa- I believe you can forward it from Blog Talk Radio, but it's easier if you go to iTunes or Pocket Casts or Dogcatcher or any of your podcast aggregators and find it by searching for Sherry Edwards, and you'll find our over 500 shows. And this is, boy, Dr. Lewis is a rabble rouser. He may not think of himself as a rabble rouser, but I think of him that way as a very positive model of no. That's a lie. Well, maybe not lie, but, you know, not correct data. Uh, But I do have another announcement, and this is a positive with a slight edge announcement about something happening in Belize. Belize, the title of the article is, Belize Ends Oil Operations in Its Ocean Waters. Belize, home of the largest barrier reef in the Western Hemisphere, has permanently suspended oil operations in its ocean waters. The legislation makes, marks the first time that a developing country has taken such a major step to protect its oceans and all the life within from oil exploration and extraction. So I think it's fascinating to amazing that here, I think, in the Americas, we might have thought of Belize as a third world country. Well, we're trending toward an administration that wants to open up marine reserves and mine them and frack them and do they anything they can and reduce restrictions on the oil companies so that they are supposed to be policing themselves. And we've seen, as evidenced by the Horizon incident, or the catastrophe, really, that now this administration wants to say, no, no, let's, uh, let's do more of that, whereas here we have a theoretical third world country, not really, uh, who has the wisdom to actually understand that the importance of ocean and the waters. So it's really, it's very positive. I'll put this in chat. Did you have another announcement, Sherry, or are we ready to roll right in? Let's roll. I'm anxiously waiting to hear everything he has to say. This will be the longest part that I read because I tried to cut down Dr. Lewis's intro, but it's hard. 
David Lewis is an internationally recognized research microbiologist whose work on public health and, the envir and environmental issues as a senior level research microbiologist in the EPA's Office of Research and Development. His research on HIV transmission, transmission and dentistry, published in Lancet and Nature Medicine, prompted government health organizations worldwide to adopt the current heat sterilization standard for chemistry in the 1990s. In 2000, the EPA administrator awarded him the Science Achievement Award for his research published in Nature concerning the effects of climate change on risks posed by environmental pollutants. More recently, his research on heavy metals and other industrial chemicals in sewage sludge, biosolids, applied to land, prompted two congressional hearings, a review by the National Academy of Sciences, and new guidelines issued by the CDC. David currently serves as research director for the Focus for Health Foundation, co-director of the National Whistleblowers Center Leadership Council, and chairs the Science Advisory Committee for the Autism Policy Reform Coalition. David joins us to discuss his book, Science for Sale, how the U.S. government uses powerful corporations and leading universities to support government policies, science top, silence top scientists, jeopardize our health, and protect corporate profits. Welcome, David Lewis. Thank you, Richard, and you too, Sherry. I'm really honored to be on your program today. I, I would, right out of the gate, would like to ask, why microbiology? What was it that, I, I, from reading your book and listening to other interviews and some of your YouTube, you seem to be really, you were right out of the gate into microbiology. What was it as a kid that made you desire to be a microbiologist? Well, uh, ever since I was five years old, I had an interest in nature at that time, insects, butterflies, and bees. And I have found that in talking to scientists around the world that seem to make the most impact, it's that way. Uh, they always tell me that just like me, they had a strong interest in nature and biology and science in general uh, at the very earliest age. And it just turned out through a series of coincidences that I ended up uh, at the University of Georgia uh, in working in a microbiology lab. And at the same time, uh, EPA was being formed in 1970 and I had a job working at the EPA laboratory near the University of Georgia uh, in the, doing microbiology like I do today myself as a student at the time. Wow. And it turned out that it, it, was, it was exactly the right choice because uh, microbiologists get as much or more chemistry and physics as they do uh, microbiology, just strict microbiology. And I actually worked as an analytical chemist for a uh, pharmaceutical company slash pesticide company, if you can believe that, for about a year. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's a whole separate show. I'm making a bookmark about that. That's amazing. Um, and 
when you were getting your PhD in microbiology, did you think you were going to have a career as a whistleblower? I mean, was that something in your thought pattern that you wanted to be a rabble rouser? It was not. Uh, I was actually forced into that and would never have walked down that pathway had it not been for the fact that our research lab was targeted uh, by EPA's Office of Inspector General uh, when the this was 1993-92 when science was being politicized at EPA from out of EPA headquarters and part of that process that was going on was to target multiple EPA research labs uh, specifically aimed at sort of overthrowing the independent science that was being done at EPA in relation and replacing it by politicized science. And so I happened to be at that time uh, under a lot of international attention for my research on HIV transmission and dentistry. So I was getting interviews by the Washington Post, New York Times, Reader's Digest, uh, Voice of America, you name it. So they just happened to pick the wrong lab and the wrong person uh, to engage in an effort of politicization of science. And I felt like I was more equipped, had more opportunity to deal with it and the issues that were at hand then, which are at hand now, I felt like human health and the environment was at stake over the politicization of science, not only at EPA but other federal agencies. So I decided to take it on. And do you think that it's possible that part of the reason they came after you in a certain way, well, not in a certain way, they came after you, period, in was because of your research and all that exposure regarding HIV in dentistry and Hep C, Hep B and C. Do you think no, they came actually, after you because you became renowned of that? Not at all. In fact, at that time, the EPA administrator was showing a documentary in her office, Carol Browner. Uh, to everyone at EPA headquarters, it was a, a documentary done in London uh, about my research on HIV and how to change guidelines around the world to a heat sterilization standard. Uh, and so they were very supportive of that. What turned them against me was I forced their hand. I started filing whistleblower lawsuits under federal laws and the reason I did that because they were take, they were had begun to uh, restrict my ability to speak publicly um, they had started cutting back on my funding uh, they stopped my promotion once I started criticizing the politicization of science within EPA um, you know, and put them in the crosshairs. They were on the defensive and got their Office of General K 
counsel involved. And so it became a legal battle very quickly once I filed whistleblower soft lawsuits. And I filed about 15 of them that were wrapped up into four sort of conglomerates of lawsuits. And the purpose of those was I wanted to understand from top to bottom. At that time, I was overseeing a project on climate change that was being run by uh, President Clinton's uh, associate director for the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. I was overseeing his project, the EPA. So I had an opportunity uh, to see what was going on from the White House down to the individual EPA laboratories. And uh, so what I did in filing those lawsuits was to get discovery at the highest levels of EPA down to the very lowest because my objective was to understand how this and other federal agencies, science at other federal agencies like the CDC and the FDA and the USDA were becoming corrupted where all of that science was being funded at universities with EPA grants, in my case, uh, to support government policies. And oftentimes those government policies defied even common sense, much less science. So I wanted to understand how that was done, and I spent 15 years doing that, getting discovery. And that's what my book, Science for Sale, is based on, actually the discovery in those lawsuits of how science was becoming corrupted at these federal agencies. And in your early days at the EPA, because you were really at the agency that evolved into the EPA in the, in the early 70s, you were already there. That's right. It was, was it, under the Department of Interior at the time. And and was it? Do you think it was always that way, or did it become what I'll use the term corrupt or influenced? I guess would be a cleaner word. It was not always that way, and fortunately, when I was an undergraduate student, like I mentioned at the University of Georgia, uh, before I even went into the uh, PhD program there, uh, EPA had, when it was formed in 1970, it had about 14 independent research labs in the field across the United States. And these scientists, not just the lab I was at in Athens, Georgia, but throughout the United States, filled with top research scientists, could match any scientist at university anywhere in the quality of science they did. And under Richard Nixon, when EPA was formed, it was designed that way by Congress. We were to be the insurance in the field with boots on the ground that that science was not corrupt, it was not politicized, it was insulated. We even, as the Office of Research and Development, until Bill Clinton came into office in 1992, we had veto power over 
any EPA regulation that was being formulated to make, if the science was not legitimate and solid, uh, we could veto it. And so EPA could not pass a regulation unless it was scientifically solid. Uh, so I saw EPA in the earliest days and what it was like to work for a government agency where you could trust the science. And that changed beginning in February 1993. So I witnessed it with my own eyes. I saw it from the White House down. And so that's what's documented in my book, Science for Sale. By which all profits from that, I get nothing out of that. All of the profits of that go to the National Whistleblower Center in Washington, D.C. That's a whole other show. <laughs> I want to, I'd like you to, we're going to jump slightly. It's still in this in this area, but I'd like you to talk about, to to paint this picture of how this research can be misguided, I guess I'll call it. Talk about the EPA's research on the safety of biosolids for cattle, how the lead researcher on that was not really qualified in a way, and how, how, the, how that information was spun. I think that's a good story to kind of paint this picture of how this occurs, that you end up, the government ends up producing data that's like, says it's the data, but really? Um, so talk well, about yeah, that, it's fabric, actually fabricated, made up. Uh, the story of biosolids is the perfect example. Uh, as anyone who's been around as an adult in the last, going back to 1970 when EPA was created, uh, saw this transformation. Back in the 60s, when the environmental movement really got its foothold and came to the forefront, we had a situation where pollution was being piped, literally, piped to the rivers. And so DDT and chemicals from the waste products of producing pesticides and pharmaceuticals and whatever, uh, whatever was not used in agriculture or sold in a drugstore, all of that material went in a pipe to some river, and that flowed out to an ocean, the Pacific or the Atlantic, and it since those chemicals that cause adverse health effects to plants and animals and human beings are water-insoluble. They're highly soluble in animal fat. And what that means is that they don't stay in the water, and the water there at extremely low concentration, you know, like parts per trillion or parts per billion. And that's the world of pollution in 1970 when EPA was created. When it went out in the oceans, it got diluted since it was not water-soluble. It ended up mostly in the sediments at the bottoms of the oceans where it was more soluble in the material that settles out of the water, not dissolved in it, the plant material, the animal fats, etc. So what happened when Bill Clinton took office, was elected in 1992, came into office in January 1993, 
immediately, just weeks later, EPA changed that whole picture. They passed a regulation called the 503 Sledge Rule, whereby all of these things we worry about, everything EPA regulates from pesticides to pharmaceuticals to what comes out of coal-fired plants is coal ash. All of this stuff we worry about in the environment that causes cancers, causes mutations, causes neurological disorders, all of those chemicals that used to be taken away from the human population, away from the animal life on land, away from the farms where we have pigs and cows and chickens, and ended up at the bottoms of the oceans, now is concentrated in sewage treatment plants, wastewater treatment plants in every city and town across America to millions of times higher concentrations than we would ever see it in air or water. It's now concentrated in sewage slugs, the the solid material that's mostly human feces that settles out at wastewater treatment plants. But that sludge, as it's called, sewage sludge, is very high in animal fat. It comes from food waste. It comes from sludges. It comes from countless sources. So what was in water at parts per trillion and parts per billion levels it was already known to cause adverse health effects at that concentration now is millions of times higher in concentration in the high parts per million concentrations as sewage treatment plants in animal fat. So what do they do with that? Instead of that ending up in the bottoms of the oceans, it ends up in land because we have a Clean Air Act, we have Clean Water Acts, and we have no Clean Soil Act. So industry came up with the brilliant idea, and I put that in books, that they don't have to pay money anymore. They even build a pipe to run their toxic chemical waste into rivers and worry about it and pay a lot of money to comply with the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act, hey, they can just put it in the sewer, which is paid for by municipalities. And it goes to a sewage treatment plant, and then it gets hauled in trucks out and put on farms and school playgrounds and golf courses. Every piece of land they can find to dump sewage sludge. The only problem was it's insane. It doesn't take a PhD in microbiology to know you can't take the same chemicals we regulate in air and water, concentrate them millions of times higher, and spread them on school playgrounds and make it safe. So what happened is the unimaginable. EPA started funding universities, land-grant universities like the University of Georgia, where I was on the graduate faculty and working at EPA's Office of Research and Development, 
from those universities to create a, an entire body of fake science. As unbelievable as that is, that's what was done. And they could not get kind of scientists that they were funding previously, which were highly reliable scientists, they went instead from sign funding top-notch biologists and chemists and physicists and engineers at universities to funding people like they did at the University of Georgia to produce fake data to show that are harmless to humans, harmless to animals, harmless to plants, harmless to agriculture. They generated that science. And I'm not picking on the university this an public research in nature showing that EPA turned around and University of Georgia. The head of that research, EPA funded University of Georgia, a nice young in forest biology, and she was doing EPA's funded Richard, Dr. Lewis is fading out. We're only hearing every other word. Yeah, David, we we're losing you. I don't know what. I'm not sure. I think that's from his cell side. Uh, David, we're yeah, losing you a little. Is. You're a little wobbly. Okay, now you're back. No, it's a little. I don't know. It's a little wobbly suddenly. It was great. But it was had been great up until the last couple of minutes. Do you want to hang up and call right back in? My landline, if you want to do that, which is does oh, not no, no, get now, you're, now it sounds now it actually sounds fine. Yeah. Well, let's just keep going. Do the best. Let's okay. No, you sound you sound hill. great again. Okay. So the was a bachelor's degree in no, sorry, you're 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 clip you're clipping again a lot, David. I don't know why. It was really solid and fine, but now it's clipping. Is he moving around? I don't think so. It's it's the cell signal that I'm getting at home right. in the cell phone company, but I I run into this all the time. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's another technology that needs real research. Um, you, we lo we lost you for a moment when you were talking about the fake data that was being produced at the University of Georgia. Yeah, so they published an article in a journal that the industry supports, and a lot of over their data. Uh, it ended up in a federal court in the Southern District of Georgia, and the judge ruled that all of EPA's data were fabricated. That's what we discovered in the lawsuit. 
numbers that EPA published in the scientific literature for concentrations of toxic chemicals in sludge were made up. Literally, a plant manager at a wastewater treatment plant sat down at his computer and made up 20 years of environmental data that didn't exist before. And that's what the judge said in his ruling, uh, because under the lawsuit, EPA and the wastewater treatment plant had to turn over their data. And when they did, we got the manager under a deposition, under oath, he admitted he made up all of those data. That's just one example of fake data that EPA used to support its new regulation for dumping these pollutants on land. And that's where we are. That's the quote on science we have today from EPA. Wow. And and how does this – my byline on shows is follow the money, so I have the feeling that's where we're going. How and why does this occur? How does the system get so influenced – is it that the lobbyists are so powerful? I mean, who's pushing the agenda to make this happen? Where you come from an agency that in the in pre-70s or even in the early 70s was so, or I guess up until really in the 90s, really did have people such as yourself that were really driven by research, actual real research. And then it suddenly flips to where it's able to be, grants are being given to produce fake data to rationalize what's happening. Where's the, what am I missing? What's the the misstep? How did that occur? Why did that occur? Uh, It is all about money. And President Eisenhower warned about this in his farewell address where he talked about the industrial-military complex. He also talked about federal funding of research, and he said that would, he predicted it would corrupt the universities. And this is a perfect example. Every polluter in the world puts their pollutants down the drain, whether it's a chemical company, a pharmaceutical company, you know, a pesticide company, your local dentist who flushes stuff down the drain, you know, from mercury fillings, uh, the funeral home where bodies are embalmed, that stuff goes, the waste from that goes down the sewer line. You go to a slaughterhouse where animals are slaughtered, uh, that material goes down the sewers. Uh, everything ends up at the wastewater treatment plant and it's free to the polluter. They flush it. Uh, So it falls upon every city and town to take that highly concentrated mixture of chemical waste and heavy metals and everything we worry about and do something with it. So the industry is behind that. They, uh, they, as everybody knows, they contribute to congressmen and senators when they get elected. 
they contribute to presidential campaigns. So the amount of money going into electing federal government officials from the White House to uh, to the House of Representatives to the Senate uh, is unimaginable in this area uh, for pumping money into politicians to make sure when they're in office and they become political appointees at the EPA in this case and at the USDA in this case and to the CDC in this case to make sure that this phony science is supported, both funded and defended, that's going into the pockets of politicians. But there's another route for that. It's the old revolving door. At EPA, the guy who was in charge of this whole operation, a guy by the name of Alan Rubin, who no longer works at EPA, uh, but he was quite proud of the fact that he had an, a job in Washington, D.C., in EPA's Office of Water, over the sewage sludge program. Uh, he was proud of the fact that he also got rotated in and out of the wastewater uh, industry and the their big umbrella organization, uh, the, the WEF, it's called uh, where all of the wastewater treatment plants are represented on the industry side, the Water Environment Federation at the time, which created the Water Environment Research Foundation to support research. So what you've got there, you've got tons of money going into from the industry to create their own research foundation that is representative of the wastewater treatment industry. You got that money going in to support scientists at universities to do research that shows sewage sludge is safe with all these chemicals and heavy metals at millions of times higher concentration than everybody of science that's been published so far shows that's not true. But then on the federal government side, You've got EPA under a appointee by the President of the United States who's been, he was running his campaign, or her campaign in Hillary's case, was getting tons of money for their political campaigns. And you've got Alan Rubin, who's a career federal employee, rotating in and out of the waste. Water Industries Foundation, which gives research money, and and all of that money, whether it's from the federal side, in federal grants and cooperative agreements, is taken from us as taxpayers in billions of dollars. That's being funneled to universities like the University of Georgia to pay scientists, academic scientists, professors to generate biased and even outright fake science, fake data. Uh, but you've also got this phony foundation, phony in the sense that it's not sound science, it's not representing you and me as a taxpayer, it's not representing uh, 
the university's independent research. No, it's like the pharmaceutical companies funding universities to sh- produce data showing their drugs are safe. It's the same thing. So this entire system now, including the federal government, as President Eisenhower warned in his farewell address, has become corrupt. It's all a machine to produce science in the scientific literature, the peer-reviewed scientific literature, to support government policies and certain industry practices like this. Wow. My hair is on fire. It was already on fire. That all happened in 30 years, and I saw it from beginning to end. And is there, it almost seems like with this current administration, with the head of the, I'll just talk about the EPA for a moment, because environment is my sort of primary driving force, even though, as somebody in chat is saying, pollution of the planet, pollution of the body, that's one of the things that that really irks me and drives me to be not shouting, but in my mind I am, on microphone, is talking about they don't seem to understand that ultimately what you do to the environment is going to affect us, that we are giant walking filters of what's in the environment, and that it leads to why the sludge is so toxic, because we're processing it. And now we have an agency that's just careening out of control in terms of, you know, saying the industry will handle it and they'll take care of it. No, go do more mining. Do It's just, it's mind-blowing to me how it's so corrupted. Do you see, is there some way that we, the consumer, the voter, can have an effect on this? Do we need more people like you out there rabble-rousing and saying this research is a lie? Or how do we, is there a possibility for change? Uh, absolutely, and uh, that's a critical actual question to ask and to think about. And let me say up front, uh, ever since I took on EPA over this 30 years ago, uh, at that time I was overseeing, as I mentioned, project that was run out of the White House. I have applied for appointments and under every president that was elected since Bill Clinton. And in the current administration, uh, let me be very upfront about this, there is good and bad, and I would say an equal weight. And the problem we've got as citizens is to figure out what is real and what is phony. In my case, uh, I don't care who I work for or with, Democrat or Republican, in the White House or anywhere else. I was in this latest election. I served on Hillary Clinton's health care leaders committee when she, for her campaign. I was also working at the same time with many of the key Trump people. And since Trump's been elected, I was approached by the transition team, the executive committee, about whether I would be interested in a position uh, in the White House, in the Trump administration. So I'm a a very rare 
species when it comes to politics and science. My sole goal is to figure out what is the true science and make sure that gets in our regulations. So let me give you an example of what's going on right now. You're reading and hearing nothing but horrible things about Pruitt, who is the new head of EPA, Scott Pruitt. Scott Pruitt, when he got into office, one of the first things he did is ask EPA's inspector general to look into biosolids. The reason he did that is because he and because he is fully aware of the research I did, the controversy in this issue, and that was one of the first steps he took. There is no more important step any EPA administrator could ever do than to say, let's take a fresh look at the science behind biosolids and see whether it's reliable or unreliable. So there's that side a lot of what you're reading about, and I'm not pushing Trump here. Like I said, I was on Hillary's campaign as a health care leader for, uh, for her campaign. It's not about that. But what you're hearing about Pruitt and Trump right now in the daily newspaper today is that he is – has dismantled EPA's Science Advisory Board. That is not true. Pruitt took a step from advice from me and others who knew what's going, have known what's going on inside of EPA for all these years. And that is that the Science Advisory Board, which has had top-rate scientists on it at EPA, for three decades, is also has also become corrupt. What Pruitt did is said, no longer can we have scientists at universities, no matter how famous they are, on EPA Science Advisory Board who are getting grants from EPA. And you just heard me explain what went on with grants at EPA, beginning with Bill Clinton. That grant money, as predicted by President Eisenhower, started going to universities to support government policies and industry practices with fake science. And so despite all of the hype against Pruitt, and I'm not promoting Pruitt, not everything he does is great and wonderful, I would assume, but in this area I know everything about, he did what no other EPA administrator has been able to do. Uh, so we have to, as citizens, realize that when we pick up the newspaper and when you pick up a scientific article in Nature, even, the, the scientific literature is no more reliable now than your local newspaper. You've got to get to the facts to figure out what the truth is, and you cannot go by whether it's a Republican in the White House or a Democrat in the White House anymore. You cannot go by what is at the university. 
no matter how famous that scientist is, how revered that scientist is, to figure out whether or not the science that scientist is publishing is garbage or actual reliable independent science. That's where we are. Wow. And I, 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 wanted, I want to jump slightly. This is in the same theme, but I just want to confirm. Somebody in chat is asking me about vaccines. Do you feel that it's the same is true in the CDC and, and research on vaccines? Is it, is it across the board that at this point there's so much uh, what I would call follow the money issue in funding that a lot of research is dirty? Absolutely. In fact, it's not just a lot of research at the CDC or the EPA. It's all of the research. And the vaccine mm. issue is a mirror, a mirror image, a perfect mirror image of biosolids. And that is something I have been involved in as a research scientist equally as I was in biosolids. The vaccine issue is the other thing I went into as a microbiologist. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, from data that I have seen collected in lawsuits filed against pharmaceutical companies, in the science that's been published by the FDA funding universities, by the CDC funding universities, the data used to support vaccines, let me give you one example from a, you mentioned earlier that I have a leadership position at the National Whistleblowers Center in Washington, D.C. I get to see a lot of things no citizen sees, the inside data, scientific data, that whistleblowers at federal agencies, not just in the United States, but in Europe as well, turn over to the government and blow the whistle on. Let me give you an example. I sat down with a scientist that blew the whistle on a major pharmaceutical company. That scientist showed me the data, years of data, how the data for vaccine safety were being completely fabricated. I sat there and looked at the data, listened to what this scientist told me, and it was on one particular vaccine, the MMR vaccine, measles, mumps, and rubella. Uh, at the end of seeing with my own eyes what was being done from the inside by its own scientists, I had one question. I said, how many vaccines on the pediatric vaccine schedule by the CDC, how many of those vaccines data sets supporting those vaccines have been fabricated by this method you just showed me. He said every one of them. Mm. Do you hear what I'm saying? Every This is a testimony from a scientist inside 
the largest one of the largest manufacturers of vaccines in the world showing me data saying with the data with me as a microbiologist looking at it this is not hearsay and I can see it the data are being faked just like that example I showed you where EPA faked the data for biosolids at the University of Georgia, 20 years of data, and a federal judge in a lawsuit that I was an expert witness in threw it out when the person who faked it admitted it. And here's the thing to go by. Here's what's going on. It's what Eisenhower said. The federal government is under-influenced through the political system to take money from the vaccine manufacturers, from the waste control industry that controls the sewage sludge issue. Uh, you name it. It's all about money. Money from industry is now mixed with taxpayer money collected from us. It's all wrapped up together with industry and government at the highest level, political, and not only the, the people we elect that get corrupted, but now the federal civil servants at the various top, the senior executive service for federal employees. It's corrupted. It's all mixed together in Washington, D.C. at the very highest levels, and that is what's controlling what science gets done at the university level, just like Eisenhower said it would be, whether that's federally funded research or by a pharmaceutical company, both of them are funding the universities. But what is happening that everyone of us need to realize now is that there are all kinds of ethics rules in place that deal with when a pharmaceutical company funds a university to do research on vaccines or on the drugs that they sell at the over-the-counter for every ailment we have. Uh, we're all aware that scientists have to disclose the fact that if they work for a pharmaceutical company and their paper published in the scientific literature concludes that company's drugs are safe, you really can't trust that. What the public doesn't know yet is that there is no difference now. When the CDC funds research at a university, when the FDA funds that research, when the EPA, the USDA, the U.S. Department of Interior, USGS, any of these federal agencies, the National Institutes of Health, the National Science Foundation, all of these federal agencies, it's no different than a pharmaceutical company funding a university to support the safety of its drugs. It's all the same system now. You cannot trust that science, not any of it. And I'm a living, breathing, walking example of what happens to the best scientists in the world. I am the only scientist at EPI ever to be first author, lead author on papers, research published in Nature 
and Lancet and Nature Nature Medicine that has changed public health and environmental policies worldwide. I was fired by EPA for publishing two papers in Nature that raised concerns about fake data on biosolids. That says it all right there. Our best scientists at EPA 30 years ago, 20 years ago, where we had solid science at EPA, those scientists are gone. All that's left at the EPA, and the same thing, that happened in 1992 and 93. The same thing happened at the CDC in 19, it happened under George Bush when he took office. The same thing happened on vaccines. The CDC was being run by Julie Gerberdine, the director of the CDC. Uh, she, there was a, a, an exodus of scientists under Julie Gerberdine at the CDC in the mid-1980s that mirrored what happened under Bill Clinton in 1992-1993 and it's identical there were five former CDC directors wrote a letter to Julie Gerberdine that the exodus of scientists at the CDC was going to put public health at risk and Julie Gerberdine left the CDC and became head of Merck's vaccine division. So where you saw EPA scientists like me purged under Bill Clinton, when we would not tolerate the fake science on biosolids under George Bush, The same thing happened when Julie Gerberdine left and began running the vaccine division of Merck. The scientists that were solid, honest scientists at the CDC working on vaccines, they left. They're not there. What's left the CDC are the kind of people that's left at EPA on biosolids. The kind of scientists left at the CDC working on vaccines are scientists who are willing to overlook fake data and biased data where only scientists who publish data showing vaccines are safe get funded by the CDC and get grants to universities. That's the system we've got now. There's more information in uh, Dr. Lewis's book, Science for Sale. We are at the end of our time, but I want him to... Tell us how to get his book, how to get in touch with him. Does he have a blog? Uh, and what we can do as the people to help stop some of this. Yeah, you can get all of my stuff by going to the Focus for Health Foundation website, focusforhealth.org, and you can look at their entire website, or you can go directly to my part of it as a research director. It's just www.focusforhealth, 
slash David Lewis. You'll see all of my stuff that's regularly posted there as their research director. You are a brave man to put this out. We have talked on our show many times about how people get punished for doing this. I applaud your your courage, your um, ability to put it all out there and stand strong with it. So I encourage everyone here to purchase your book. My copy of it is kind of dog-eared, but there's even new information today that I had not heard of. So are you going to do another edition and bring it up to date? Actually, I am. I am working on a book that is titled Science, Sex, and Religion because (laughs) All of this has gotten under the Trump administration All of that's become one mixture And it just so happens that I was licensed as a Baptist minister in 1975 And I've seen all sides of what we live in the middle of now So I'm going to talk about it all in my second book Well, when you get ready to publish let us know or anything new that you want to bring forward. This this information about vaccines you're talking about, we have been talking about that for years and trying to bring that forward, but we feel very stymied. So I would encourage people to go to focusforhealth.org slash David Lewis. We are out of time, but certainly not out of curiosity or questions for you. So we'll certainly stay in touch. Thank you, Sherry, and I will. Thank you, Richard, again. What you do is every bit as important as what I do. Thank you so much. I knew that was going to be diving into the rapids uh, because of the amount of information. That was the hardest time thing I had in preparing for the show is you have such a vast amount of information that I want to jump up and down on in an excited way. we may speak to you about coming back and doing just a show about autism and vaccines and pollution and toxins, but not now. Uh, let's do that. I'm let's do that. that as a hint. That would be great. Thank you so much. Uh, Thanks, yeah, once Rich. again, everybody, I want to remind you that you can go to soundhealthoptions.com, uh, click on the radio tab, then click on the blog talk radio archive, and you'll be able to find the show there. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks. Bye-bye. Our classes about bio-diet are on our site also under classes. Thank you, Richard. Later, everyone.